0: Thank you for listening to the weekly podcast from San Jacinto Assembly of God in Amarillo, Texas. If you'd like to know more about our church, visit us online at www.sjag.church. Now here's this week's message. Well, get out your Bibles this morning and turn with me to 1 Corinthians chapter 13, or 15, 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verse 58 this morning. It says, Therefore, my beloved brethren, be steadfast and moveable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that your labor is not in vain in the Lord. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, Lord, this morning we thank you and praise you. Lord, so thankful again, Lord, for each person here this morning and Most of all, thank you for your presence, God, in this place, God, today, as we come together, Lord. And Lord, we pray, God, at this time of the preaching of the Word, that you would lead, guide, and direct us in it, Father. We pray that our hearts would be open to it, and open to it, Father. And not only that, Lord, that it will just move us, and, and Lord, challenge us this morning in our walk with you, Father, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen. We started going through 1 Corinthians last October on Wednesday night, and we should finish it this month. And for the last few weeks, we've been in chapter 15, and Paul has been presenting his very compelling case to the naysayers concerning the resurrection. And this next Wednesday, we'll be discussing what kind of body we will have, and perhaps even the mystery of how all this takes place on next Wednesday. But the verse we read today is penned at the end of chapter 15. And the therefore is there because of what we have learned and understand about the topic of the resurrection and events that are following the resurrection. So when Paul penned the words therefore, he's taking in consideration that we have now learned, that we now understand, And that we now know about the resurrection and also know about events that will happen after the resurrection. So therefore he says this in the things that he has said in verse 15. He puts those out there for you and I. I mean, you know, understanding is an important thing. Having wisdom is an important thing. Having knowledge is an important thing in our lives. I'm glad that God reveals and opens things. It tells us about understanding in Proverbs chapter 3, verses 13 and 14. It says, happy is the man who finds wisdom and the man who gains understanding. Now listen to what it says about wisdom and understanding in Proverbs chapter 3, 13 and 14. For her proceeds, what? Wisdom and understanding are better than the profits of silver and the gain of fine gold. Now, I don't know about you, but gold and silver is pretty expensive today. Matter of fact, I was hearing the other day that gold is, may go up to $2,000 an ounce. That's pretty nice. You know, the only sad thing about that, I don't have any. And silver can get as high as it wants, wants to, but I don't have any of that either. But I am going to tell you something. The Bible says when it comes to understanding The things of God. Now listen to what he says because we're going to get a hold of it this morning. When it comes to understanding the things of the Bible and the things of God, it says that that wisdom, that understanding, that knowledge is more valuable than gold itself, more valuable than silver. Why? Because it will buy you more than what all the gold on earth will buy and all the silver on earth. It says it is valuable. So if you want to know what the most valuable thing that you can learn and understand It is the precious, I said precious, Word of God because the Word of God is what is valuable in our lives. It doesn't matter how much I make on this earth if I don't know anything about this thing. It is that valuable. And I know we live in a time that we put value on everything else, but let me tell you, this Word is most valuable. When I was ordained... Many years back, there was a charge spoken to me by Alton Garrison. And at that time, he was the Assistant Secretary of the, the General Council of the Assembly of God. I felt privileged that he was preaching my ordination service. And, why, and why I even felt more privileged because I was the only one in that service that was being ordained. So I felt like the whole message was right at me. You ever felt like the, the preacher just preaching right at you? You're the only one in the room. I felt like that that night because I was the only one being ordained. So I had to eat it all up. But I enjoyed it. But at the end of that message, He said this to me. In 2 Timothy 4, verse 1 and 2, He says, I charge you therefore before God and the Lord Jesus Christ who will judge the living and the dead at His appearing at His kingdom. Preach the word. Be ready in season, out of season. Convince, rebuke, exhort with all longsuffering and teaching. For the time will come when they will not endure sound doctrine, but according to their own desires, because they have itching ears, they will heap for themselves teachers. And they will turn their ears away from the truth and be turned aside to fable. But listen to what it says. He says this, and it's in 1 Timothy. He says, but you be watchful in all things. Endure afflictions and do the work of an evangelist. Fulfill your ministry. Now, if you know anything about ornation service, that's just a charge given to that preacher that's being ordained, saying this is what we want you to do. It's not about a piece of paper, but it's about what you do with what we're putting you under as being ordained for the assembly of God. Can I tell you this morning, ministers are not the only ones to receive a charge from God. Let me say it again. Ministers are not the only one to receive a charge from the Lord. See, the verse that we read this morning, starting out with, could almost be accepted as a charge giving unto us from the Holy Spirit through the writing of Paul to every Christian, to every one of us, a charge. See, I can still remember that long finger of Brother Alton Garrison pointing at me as he says, I charge you. And oftentimes, we as Christians, we read something in the Scripture, and we don't take it personal. But let me tell you today, we need to take this type of Scripture personal in our life as if the Holy Spirit or if Paul himself, through a hologram or whatever he may be, pointing right at you and saying, you. Because this is a charge to each one of us as Christians from that prophet. So in light of understanding this, in the future, notice what Paul says to us individually as Christians in this one verse. And hey, I'm just preaching this one verse this morning, so we'll get out early. First thing I want you to notice about the verse is Paul is not addressing the world in this verse. He's not addressing the world in this verse. Can I tell you this morning? The world has no appetite for the things of God. Have you noticed that lately? The world has no appetite for the things of God. I don't know about you, but I love good gospel music. I, I love reading the Word of God. I love hearing about prophetic messages. I hear. I love just. The, I love the house of the Lord. I just love being here this morning. Amen. I love the things of God. But can I tell you today, the world is not interested in the things of God. They're not interested in His Word. They don't know what His Word is. They don't want to know what the Gospel says. They don't know these things because they're not interested in that. And I believe it's time the church wakes up. I think some of the things we're trying to do in this world that we live in, in this country we live in, we're trying to make those that have no appetite for God's Word eat, our, eat the Word of God. Come on, how many of you remember when you was little and you didn't like your green beans and your mama made you try to cram them down your throat? You didn't like it. And I think there's a lot of things going on in the church that we're trying to make people uh, uh, take in the Word of God when they have no appetite for the Word. And it's time that we understand it. You know what made me get hungry for the Word of God? is when I got saved. Amen, I love a new convert because they'll sit there and they'll absorb, I could preach a bad sermon, they'll still love it. I'm looking at David right on the front, but he's not here this morning. But I'm saying we develop an appetite, and the world does not have that appetite, and we need to understand the world doesn't have an appetite for that. And so we've got to do our work, and the Holy Spirit's got to do His work, to stir up an appetite. And when that gets stirred up, then they can change, but until they get changed, they're not interested. Paul didn't write this to the world. Listen to what the gospel or the word of God says about the world. 2 Corinthians 4, 3 and 4 says, But even if our gospel is veiled, it's veiled to those who are perishing. Who? The world. Whose minds the God of this age has blinded. The God of this age. Who is that? That's the devil himself and all his demonic powers has blinded the mind of the world. So they're not interesting. Who do not believe, lest the light of the gospel, the glory of Christ, who is the image of God, should shine on them. Listen this morning. People whose lives are truly wrapped up in this world never give God a second thought during the day. How can I make that statement? Because I used to be one. I used to live in the world. And there was days I never thought about God. Matter of fact, the majority of my days, I never gave Him one thought. We forget also what it's like to be out there, that their world isn't wrapped around the things of God. It's wrapped around the things of this world. And we forget what it's like to be there. That's why, listen, that's why prayer, what we're doing on Tuesday night, we're driving wedges in to stir people up with prayer. I'm, I don't know about y'all, but I, if you remember the old story of Pinocchio. Remember the time Pinocchio, he got led into Pleasure Island? Pleasure Island, it was that time that he went in there and he got led. I can't remember his friend that led him over there. But the more he stayed in Pleasure Island, the more he forgot of where he came from and the more morals that he lost. And, and, and before long, he didn't wake up until he realized that his, I think if I get this right, it's been a long time ago, but until his friend started turn into a donkey, right? And I don't know if you, I guess donkeys have no morals. No pun intended there. But I'm saying this this morning that we forget that's a really description of of the world, when they get into pleasure. It's all about pleasure, all about them, and they really do not give God a thought. But Paul's not writing to them this morning. Paul is writing to the believer who has had the veil removed. Has had the veil removed. Listen, who we're writing to He's writing to that believer that has heard the message of Jesus Christ and has accepted the message of Jesus Christ by faith. Not necessarily a perfect Christian, but he's writing to the believer, the one that is walking out his faith day in and day out. The veil has been removed when you become a Christian. You no longer see as the world sees, but now the veil's put back, and now you see things as they should be. That's us as Christians. We start seeing the world and we start seeing God and a different view. And that's who Paul is writing to. We no longer belong to the world. Amen. 1 Corinthians 6.11 tells us that. We are His children, we find out in 1 John 3.3. We have switched citizenship, we find out in Philippians 3.20. We are no longer a citizenship of this world, but now we are a citizenship of God's kingdom. I don't have all those references up there. You'll have to write them down. Our steps are literally now ordered from above. Psalms. Psalms. 37:23 says the lord orders the steps of a righteous person our minds are to be renewed into his principles and his ways why? Because the veil is gone. Because we are believers now. Because we have been blood bought by the blood of Jesus Christ. We have come out of darkness into light. We have been washed and no longer are we those that have sinned in the world. But now we are a child of the living God. And our, we got to see things in a different perspective and a different light. Romans 12, 2 says, And do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind that you may prove what the good and acceptable and perfect will of God is. Get that? It says we are no longer to be conformed to the way the world thinks and the way the world does things, but now that I got Jesus, Pat, in my heart, Now that I got the blood of the Lamb of God that has washed my sins away and made my skin, or my my skin white, my my sin, (laughs) I'm white because my sin has been washed away. Because I am a new creation, the Bible tells us in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, I'm a new creation. Old things passed away. All things become new. Come on, I'm excited about what Christ has done in my life. He has washed me. Oh, he's cleansed me. He's set me free. Hallelujah. And I am justified because of Him. I am no longer walking with a veil on my face. I get up every morning. I think about God. I go to bed at night. I think about God. I think about God at lunchtime. I think about God right now. I'm telling you today, my thinker has been changed because of the Lamb of the God that has changed me. It makes a difference, church, is what I'm saying. And Paul's writing to us. We are no longer a part of this world. We are not to conform in what's been happening in the last few decades. The church has been conforming to the world instead of coming out and changing the world by the blood of Jesus. It's like, how close can I walk to the edge? Don't fall, okay. And still be saved. That's not, you don't find that in God's word. You don't find how close can you live next door to sin and still be saved. The Bible says, come out of it. Come out of it. And so Paul's writing to the believer because of the wisdom and the understanding that we have. I have noticed in the last 35 years, getting close to our 35th wedding anniversary, the longer Rob and I stay together, the more we think alike. How many of you have noticed that if you've been married a while? It's kind of spooky. I'll be thinking something and she'll say it. Got to watch what I think. (laughs) She's over there shaking her head. But it's interesting because it's the same thing that what is spoke of when we become a Christian. We become one with Christ. Come on, and the more time we spend with Him, the more that we will think like Christ, the more that we'll talk like Christ, and the more that we'll act like Christ. Why? Because the veil's gone, and I will be who Christ wants me to be. Amen. In the way I act and the things I do. Christ is there, and the longer we live, the more that the understanding of it. So Paul is speaking to those that belong to the Lord in light of the understanding that we know. The understanding that we have, Paul's writing to this. It should make a difference because I know, listen, I am not ignorant anymore. I know that there's a heaven to gain and a hell to shun. And I know it takes me to go through the blood of Christ and I can't expect to live my life like the devil and make it to heaven. If I'm going to live my life like the devil, I'm going to go spend my life with the devil. But I should be understanding, and this is what Paul is saying, now that you understand, therefore, let me tell you what you need to do. Now that we have an understanding, this is what he says we should do. Since we know the truth... Let the knowledge we possess as Christians inspire the way we live. Let the knowledge we possess as Christians inspire the way we live. How many would say this morning that you have knowledge of some things of God? This lady right here. Yeah, praise God. Got two of you. All right, I'm really hoping for a whole group of you to raise your hand. You got wisdom and you got knowledge. And so it should have an effect. That's what Paul is saying. Therefore, since you know what I've told you about the resurrection, you know about things that are going to happen, let it influence your life. Let it have an impact on who you are and what you do. First thing is live with no compromise when it comes to God's way live with no compromise when it comes to God's way. The word steadfast in that passage means to be firm, fixed, determined, and purposed, and faithful. To be steadfast. I was baptized in a young, she's probably 12 or 13 years old, and it's not here, but in another church that I was associate pastor at. And we got the water full, and, and, and literally, I thank God for our baptistry here. If you want to be baptized, it's like a hot tub. It's really nice. But the one I was in was like ice water. You would think when you'd put someone down, when they came back up, they just got filled with the Spirit. No, they were just shouting because it's so cold. <laughs> but I went to baptize this little girl, and I didn't know she was totally afraid of water. And I... You know, I, I weigh in about 100, and let me not exaggerate. Let's see. I'm not going to tell you what I weigh. But anyhow, I weigh in. I was bigger than she was. And I went to baptize that little 12-year-old, and I went to go like that, and she was so stiff and firm, I could not move her. And I went again. I said, you know, we're going to have to go down there. And I, after just several times and attempts, you know, Father, Son, Holy Spirit... Father, Son, Holy Okay, let's get you down there, then I'll say it. But for somebody to be so small, she was so determined that I was not going to get her into that water that I was having a difficult time and I didn't want to get rough. It didn't look good out there. Finally, she agreed just to unlock her knees a little bit and I got her almost fully under. But I'm saying she was determined. And when Paul speaks of that same word of being steadfast... He talks about the same thing with you and I on this journey that we're going through in this world that we are to be steadfast in our faith. We are to stand firm in what we believe and what we know. It's not just talking about labor, but it's talking in the principles and precepts of God. It's talking about I know, I know, I know Jesus is the only way to heaven. It's talking about being firm and standing. Why? Because I have understanding. Therefore, I need to stand firm in what I know to be standing firm. Listen, Paul is saying this for a reason because he knows there's going to be those that will come to try to move you, those that will come and try to deceive you. And he says, stand firm. We are to be fixed in what the Bible says. We are to be determined in what the Bible says. And we are to be fixed on the purpose that we know God wants us to do and have in our life. See, the believer is to stand firm, fast and fixed in his belief And what we know is true. I want to tell you, we're living in a time that there's a lot of things out there, but we are to stand firm in what we understand and what we know. Nothing but the blood of Jesus, come on, can wash your sins away. Nothing but the blood. It's not a denomination, it's not a religion that can get you to heaven. It's Jesus only that can get you there. We are to stand firm and fixed in the labor for the Lord and determined to live for the Lord and to carry out His purpose for our life. I'm going to tell you, I know some of you youngins don't get this, but your life is going to go before you fairly quick. One day you're 20 years old, the next thing you know you're in your 60s. I was telling Megan the other day, I guess you know I'm still a young guy inside here. That's how most men are. We're still 17. We can do anything until the body says, No, you can't. (laughs) But it goes so fast. And the fact is this, that all we need to do is serve God from the moment we get saved to the moment we go home. We need to be determined, I'm going to make it. I used to be a long-distance runner. I would run the quarter, which really wasn't all that long distance, just one lap around. But there's times that I would run the mile. And I would run, and I'd just keep on running. I couldn't feel sometimes when you get to that last corner, that last little kick, and you'd save some for the kick, and I would come in like that. I could not feel my legs. I could just see my arms going up, and I could hear the crowd shouting and saying, Go, go, go. But No, I couldn't hear that. But anyhow, but... (laughs) But the the thing is this, is that I was determined whether I was last or whether I was first. I am not going to quit halfway through the race. I hate the one mile, but I'm going to finish it. Come on, that's what it talks about when it's saying stand firm in your relationship with God. No matter what happens, stand firm for the Lord. Because why? I know that there's something better when I breathe my last breath. I know that there's something better on the other side. I have understanding about God and the future because the Word of God says it. That's what makes a difference in our lives. Paul says, therefore, because you have understanding, stand firm. Matthew twenty four thirteen says, But he who endures to the end Shall be saved. He that endures to the end shall be saved. We must endure no matter what our world looks like. We must continue to serve the Lord. And then the other word is immovable, it means to be unyielding, unshaken, and undisturbed. The believer, we're not to be fickle in service for the Lord. We are to stand. We can't say, hey, I'm I'm a Christian one Sunday and I'm I'm a heathen the next. Maybe heathen's not the right word anymore. I'm just not a Christian next. We can't say, well, today I'm serving God, tomorrow I'm gonna serve the world. We gotta be immovable. No matter the influence of our friends, No matter the influence of our nation, no matter the influence of media, no matter the influence of the most popular preacher there may be on planet earth, I must be immovable when it comes to the things and what I know the Word of God has said to me. There's a story in the Bible back in 1 Kings chapter 13. And it's about a man. They just call him man of God. And he's sent unto Jeroboam. And he's supposed to go there over in Bethel and he's supposed to speak to him. God has sent him. Jeroboam was a, a man that God had pointed and and, and, and got the nation to worship in idols and a golden calf, I believe it was, if I got that right. But he was supposed to go and speak to him. He went to this altar and he speaks to the man, he speaks to the king, Jeroboam. And and tells him what God would say, and and it says the altar cracked in the middle, and he said, Josiah will be coming. He prophesied about a young man 400 years before he even gets there. And then we find the king pointed his finger at that that prophet or that man of God, and the Bible says, because he said, arrest that man. I don't like what he's got to say. And while the king was pointing his finger at the man of God, it says his hand swiveled up. And immediately the king says, pray for me, man of God. And so he prayed for him, and his hand got back like it needed to be. And so he goes, and the king says, listen what the king says. The king says, I want you to come to my house. I want to feed you, man of God. I want to give you some bread. I want to give you something to drink. I want to give you a little rest. And the man of God looked at him and said, hey, I am not to take anything to eat. I'm not to take anything to drink, and I'm not to stay here. I'm supposed to go a different way than I came. I cannot go with you. Now, that's a big deal to turn down the king. So he's gone about as long, along his way and he's walking, he's going back in a different way. And here comes a guy. His name, he's just an old prophet, is what they call him. The old prophet goes to him, he says, Hey, turn into me, come into my house. Let's have bread and let's have drink. I'll have a place for you to stay. And the, and the, the, the man of God said to that old prophet, He says, Listen, I, uh, I'm not supposed to eat nor drink. I'm supposed to go back in a different way. And then the old prophet said this. He says, listen, I too am a prophet and God has told me. Listen, he didn't mind saying God has told him. How many of you know God had already said on the subject? But he said, God had told me you're supposed to turn in and go over there. The man of God didn't turned down the king but he listened to somebody that was familiar in the same office that he was in and turned to the side you know what it cost him it cost him his life because the bible said that he immediately got judged because he did not do what the word of god had told him to do got led astray by someone that was really clever what happened he was immovable before the king But when it came to somebody that could reach into his feelings and connect with him, he became movable. I'm telling you today, we have understanding and we have people in our lives that can almost persuade us to do something different. But we must make our mind up. We must be determined. And we must be decided that I don't care if you're my wife or you're my my preacher, whoever, you are not moving me out of where I know God wants me to be. That's immovable. That's why Jesus says, you've got to hate your parents. And that's really not, hate is a strong word. But he says, it really comes back to this, is you've got to love them less than me. Immovable. Immovable. I think this thing, one of y'all has rigged this at a certain time, it starts messing up. Same one. Times in this life that we're living that you better make your mind up. Because there's some clever folk out there. There are clever, clever people that can make you think what they're saying is true. I see some of them and I think that is so wrong. What you're preaching, sir, is not wrong. I, I listened to a message the other day. I love the guy. But every now and then I think, where do you get that? That's not how I preach it. Immovable. See, it's not good enough to be immovable one time. Come on, he was immovable before the king. It's not good enough to be immovable two times. It's what he's saying in the word every time. In other words, both of these words speak of no compromise to the Lord. So what it boils down to this, when it comes to choosing between the Lord and anything or anybody else, I'm going to give you a hint for the the question's answer. Choose the Lord. Choose the Lord every time. Not just every other time, but every time. Because that will keep us from being moved. Why? Because of what we know as Christians. Be a busy bee in the work of the Lord. I tried to say that a different way, but I just couldn't get anything I liked better. Be a busy bee in the work of the Lord. Notice it says, always abounding in the work. Don't become a deadbeat worker in his kingdom. And I thought, well, that word's a little harsh. But we all know what deadbeat worker is, what it means. I I hired a guy one time at the place I was managing. He was a friend of mine. He begged me for the job. I hired him. And then we had to sweep and mop around him. He wouldn't move. (laughs) And finally, my dad says, you hired him. You fire him. I said, Dad, he's my friend. I don't care. You hired him. And I thought, oh, man, this is going to ruin our friendship. Sure enough, it did. But listen. We weren't looking for somebody just to collect a paycheck. He wasn't working. He didn't do anything. So when it comes to us because of the knowledge and the wisdom we know and what we know about God and what we know about a sinner, if they do not repent, where they're headed, the things that we know of God's deal and what, what happens in the kingdom and all these things, let us be busy working to help somebody get to know the Lord. Let us be busy bees when it comes to the work. Not busy bees in other people's business, but busy bees in God's kingdom, in His work. Because listen, we know and have an understanding if someone's not saved, we know where they're headed. And so we need that busy bee happening. And sometimes we quit working because we've been hurt. Now I would ask you to raise your hand if you've ever been hurt in the church. Pastor Oliver... Y'all pray for him? I think we've all been hurt. I'm going to tell you, sometimes when you're one of those people that, that, that you are busy working, sometimes you can get hurt hard. Because some people talk to you in a way that really hurts your feelings. And it gets you to where that withdraws. Just understand that you've got to work through that. we still got to go forward. If I took every criticism that's been against me, I would probably not preach today. I just take it all as constructive. And what isn't constructive, I throw it out the window. And sometimes people aren't busy because all they're looking for is a way into heaven. They think they have their salvation. Now they want nothing to do with the kingdom of God. But let me tell you something. We have been incorporated. We have been brought in to the family of God to be busy working for Him. And we need to be busy. I was taught to work growing up and i think the lord wants all of us to work in some sense somehow for his kingdom let us use the gifts and talents he has given us for his kingdom romans 12 6 says i have these gifts uh, i have then gifts differing according to the grace that is given to us let us use them let us use them if prophecy let us prophesy and portion to our faith or ministry let us use it in our ministering he who teaches and teaching he who exhorts and exhortation he who gives with liber- liber- liberality he who leads with diligence and he who shows mercy with cheerfulness Dif- listen to what it says different gifts for God's people every one of us in this house today or this morning and you watching online we have different gifts that God has given us thank God for the variety in the church amen and these gifts are to be dispersed throughout God's people. Can I tell you something? I want to let you understand just for a moment. This is Mission Sunday. Missions, for missions to work, you've got to have someone to go. Amen? We've got a lot of people we support that have, we support, but also you've got to have someone that will give. Someone that will provide their way. We know that my daughter, she just got back. And while she was over there three years, she had people that gave while she went. And so that's how missions work. These gifts are dispersed out into the church and all the community we live in, whether it's our job place, schools, or government. Our gifts that God has given us, we are dispersed through the community. What a great plan God has. He puts a Christian... In a a schoolroom teaching, he puts a Christian at at, at Atmos gas. He he puts a person over here, puts one going to school and and different places. Get what he does. He's dispersing his talent and his people throughout the land for a mission. And God does that. And we are to work for his kingdom's sake. We're to work for him. You know, the key is this. When we are those that are sent... We should never judge those that don't go with us because sometimes they are the very ones that are financing your trip. Some have a gift of giving, some have of going. And all of it works together. Why do we do this? Because of what we know. You know, this is Labor Day. Preach all that to get to the message. To, oh no, this is Labor Day and we celebrate labor and, and, and that of, of those that are in the workforce. Hopefully you've got a day off tomorrow. If not, let me know. I'll pray for you. <laughs> labor Day weekend, that last little deal of summer before everybody gets right into that family life and getting things back into normal life. You know, labor is a special thing. You know, sometimes we don't wonder if our labor our labor pays off on what we're doing. But, you know, I remember a long time ago, we was painting a church parsonage, and and there was a garage door that had three windows on it. And I thought, I'm going to tape those windows off around, and we'll just kind of go around like this. And and I've worked quite a while on that. And, and then here comes this friend of mine, and he's no longer a friend of mine, but he comes... And he just runs the spray gun all the way across those windows, and I go, I taped them off so we wouldn't have to scrape them, and and I go, and so all my labor was in vain, in vain. And, and, and we had to go to pastoral counseling and and all. No, just kidding. But it wasn't that bad. But I'm just saying, you know, sometimes we got to be careful and understand this. And what Paul's letting us understand this morning, whatever we do in the kingdom, our labor will never be in vain. It will bring back rewards into our life. It will be something that God will give you. You may never get paid on this side of glory, but let me tell you, what you're doing is not in vain. It's worth every moment of it. And if the devil's telling you you're just spinning your wheels, tell the devil to get out of the mud with you, all right? Just that you're going to get unstuck on this thing because God is doing a work in your life. I'll put that guy's name here. I better not say it. Okay. Paul says, knowing your labor is not in vain. Do you get it this morning? Why do we labor for God's kingdom? Because we understand about His kingdom. What's going on in His kingdom. I can give myself and all my money to this world and believe me, have nothing at the end of my life. Nothing. But I can give everything I have into the kingdom of God and reap eternity of rewards in my life. Can I tell you this morning that we have blessing right now as we live. If we're busy in His kingdom, we will experience life after death. Hallelujah. I'm hoping I can get somebody to move here in a minute. We are coming out of that grave with literally a body that is out of this world. Come on, I'm talking about blessings that we will have because our labor is not in vain. There will be no tribulation for us. We will reign with the Lord forever. We have a mansion just over the hilltop. We have a heavenly retirement plan that never runs out. We will have no need for Obamacare, dental care, or Medicare. I'm just saying we will have no more temptation or trials. And we know the King of kings and the Lord of lords and all of his family. Hallelujah! And we will spend eternity in heaven because of what we in the blood of the Lamb has done in our lives. We do not labor in vain. Whether you get an attaboy for playing a guitar for 50 years, I'm gonna tell you, your labor is not in vain. Whether nobody ever says to you, well done and good you good and faithful servant, you only want to hear it from one. Rewards. Well done. Pastor Oliver, if you'll come. Why? Because we're going to live our lives according to the knowledge that we have. We're going to live our lives according to the knowledge that we have. 2 Peter 3, 13 says, Therefore, since all these things will be dissolved, what manner of person ought you to be in holy conduct? He talks about since all these things will be resolved, what manner of life should you live? And if you know anything about Second Peter the third chapter, he's talking about everything will be burnt up. Everything that we consider to be important will be gone. All this that we see in this world that we live in today the most magnificent things that man have built, all the stacks of the money that we've put up, everything that man has called things that they have worshipped, all will burn and there'll be nothing left is what Peter's saying in that passage of Scripture. And he says, knowing this, what manner a person ought you to be? Reflect back to where we started. Knowing about the resurrection of events, Therefore, Paul says, stand firm, immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord. What's been said by these both of these guys, two different, two different guys on the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, because of the wisdom and knowledge that we have, we need to live our lives differently. We need to live as the Lord Jesus may come back, and y'all may shout before 12 o'clock. We need to live it because we know the truth. And we know what's happening. See, I, you, I, I'm glad that we're blessed as Christians here on this earth. But I'm glad that we're blessed with wisdom and understanding while we're here. And it should be what motivates our decisions, our choices in life, and the things that we do. Stand firm. Stand firm. Stand firm for the Lord.